thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series today. Last week we started, can you hear me mother by the way? Can you, can you hear me? Can you hear me Lorraine and Sue? Just making sure, that's okay. So uh, the sat under the balcony, it's not quite as good, but hopefully you can hear clearly this morning. This morning we carry on our Follow Me series. Last week it's quite a simple series, but I think the idea of it is we, we always come back to what Jesus said. We always come back at different points throughout the year to the actual bits where Jesus is involved. Jesus is through the whole Bible, but we always come back to the Gospels in some way. And this call is simple and it's repeatable. And actually, hopefully, if we go over the next few weeks, the message will sink in. And there's little bits to each time Jesus says, follow me. There's little bits that are extra that we need to think about. And this morning, it's follow me with no excuses. No excuses. We're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, and we're going to look from verses 18 to 27. Um, I used to be a primary school teacher, and I got used to excuses. You know, you've heard the old one, that the dog ate my homework, you know. There's an excuse for not doing it. I actually had one lad who got very creative in my class, and he came in with a soggy, wet mush. And he said, sorry, Mr. Harrison, the goldfish ate my homework. Um, I think he was trying to be funny, um, but I, I let him off because he was quite creative. Sir Alex Ferguson, possibly one of the greatest football managers United ever had, or probably ever will, lost a football match, or was losing a football match 3-0 at half-time against Southampton. And the reason was because United's new grey away shirt in the sunshine made them invisible to each other, effectively. So at half-time, the whole team changed their kit and they still lost. So it wasn't a very good excuse. They lost 3-1 in the end, so United did slightly better in the second half. But what an excuse. Oh, it was the grey tops they were wearing. They couldn't see to pass to each other. That's Liverpool's excuse all season. Ready's a problem, obviously. But uh, the team came out for the second half with a different kit on and still lost. So the excuse wasn't very good, wasn't a very good excuse. How do we feel personally when people make promises to us and actually they can't or won't keep them? How do we feel if somebody makes a promise and we know as soon as the words are out of their mouth, it's not gonna happen. Or maybe we think actually this will happen but then it doesn't, they let us down. How is it that we can follow so many little idols or gods in our lives and yet not make God the priority. When Jesus this morning says to you and me, follow me, without excuses, no excuses. Don't put things in the way. There's no excuse. So I want to read the first four verses of our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22 say this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Got to stop there. I'm going to read a little bit more from that passage later on. But there's two examples where somebody promised to follow Jesus or where somebody else was asked to follow him. Firstly, a bit of context. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. You know the story of Daniel. Daniel and the lion and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fire. The second half of the book of Daniel is prophetic. It's talking about the Messiah that's going to come. Daniel has a vision. He sees the promises of God laid out for him. He sees that there's going to be this conquering king. And Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 say, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion that will sorry, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There's the context for something that we've read already. Daniel has a vision of the promised Messiah, and the name Son of Man became linked to who this Messiah was going to be. He was going to have authority. He was going to have power. He was going to be glorious. His kingdom was never going to end. It was never going to be beaten. His kingdom would be established and forever be. Does that not sound like Jesus? (laughs) The man with authority over all sorts of things as we read the stories. The man who had power. We've sung it this morning. What a powerful name the name of Jesus. So the name Son of Man became linked with the Messiah. So in Matthew, what does Jesus call himself? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is proclaiming, I am that promised one. We need to get our heads around this. A lot of people will say, well, Jesus was just a good man. Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just somebody who was kind. He had wise words. He was a bit of a guru, maybe. I think you'll find Jesus is saying, I'm the one with authority. I am the one with power. I am the one that has glory. And I am the one whose kingdom will never end. When he calls himself the son of man. It's not just a throwaway phrase. It's deliberate. And actually, Jesus calls himself this 32 times in the book of Matthew alone. 32 times Jesus calls himself the son of man. I think he's trying to make a point that he's not just a wise man. He's not just a guru and a prophet. He is this son of man that will come with glory, with authority, with power, and whose kingdom will never end. Do we get that? And he's calling you and me to follow him. No excuses. He's calling me and you to follow him. He's claiming that title for himself. He is the promised Messiah. At the time, people would have been like, whoa, what is he saying? Because it's not just mentioned in Daniel, it's mentioned in Ezekiel. It's mentioned throughout the Old Testament that this promised one of God will be the son of man. 
Not the son of man as in a human, but the son of man, born of people, but born of God. So, there's the context of what Jesus replies. But a scribe comes to him and says, Teacher, uh, I will follow you wherever you will go. What a promise. Have you ever promised to be there for somebody no matter what? You know, if you're married this morning, then part of your marriage vows are that. We've promised sickness and health, richer, poorer. It actually reminds me of Ruth, the story of Ruth. If you don't know the story of Ruth, I think it's four chapters long. Ruth says to Naomi, Ruth isn't from the Jewish nation, but she says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Who you worship, I will worship. She promises not to leave aside, and Ruth is good to her word, and as a result of her obedience, she's blessed. She still lives in a difficult situation, but she's blessed because of her obedience. It also reminds me of the story of Greyfriars Bobby. Yeah, you know the story of Greyfriars Bobby. Um, supposedly his owner died and he sat by the grave and there's a grave in the churchyard dedicated to him. I, I don't know whether the, the owner was buried with the lead still on and that was the problem, but uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe that was why Greyfriars Bobby didn't move, because he couldn't. But actually, he was devoted to his master. He was devoted to his master so much that he did not want to leave his side, even in death. That's devotion, isn't it? That's following with no excuses. And there's a statue to that little dog in Edinburgh because of his devotion. And we go and visit a statue of a dog and go, wow, isn't it amazing? This little dog, oh, it's amazing. Wouldn't it be more amazing if we followed the God who has all authority, the one who came to die for us, the one who loved us so much that he was willing to give it all for us. Yeah? It's better than a statue of a dog in Edinburgh. And yet we trek, or we go and see these things dedicated to people of faithfulness. God is faithful, and he's faithful to you. This man comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Many of you know that Chloe has had some baby lambs. They're to keep the horse company, apparently. And uh, they're interesting creatures. People have been to see them. She's had, a few, she's had these baby lambs for a few months. And generally speaking, they follow her all over. I lie in bed and sometimes hear them coming through the door. And I'm like, Chloe, get them out of the house. So if they're in now, Chloe, get them out of the house. They follow her everywhere. Why do they follow her? They follow her across the yard. They follow her into the field. They follow her into the stable. Why do they follow her? Because they, she protects them from the dogs that are roaming around. She protects them and she provides for them. She, they know that she will provide food. They know that she will provide shelter. And it's quite funny because they're getting older and she's just started to put them out in the field. And what happens is she takes them into the field in the morning, takes them there with the horse, and then she leaves the field and the sheep come to the gate and bar and try to get out of the field because they want to be with Chloe. They've got a field full of grass. They've got food. They don't want to be there. They want to be with Chloe. It does give message to that verse. My sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. They follow her everywhere because they've grown up knowing they can trust her. They stand at the gate, barring. If she drives her car in the yard and gets out and shuts the door, they start barring in the stable at night. They are so devoted to her. And as they're getting older, although they're not following her completely, she puts them to bed in the stable. And sometimes they don't want to go in the stable because they know that then they're going to be on their own. They know she's around, but they don't want to go in the stable. 
because they want to stay out and play. And actually, as they get older, they become a bit more unwilling. Does that sound familiar? As we get older, we become a bit more unwilling. These sheep will follow her everywhere, and now they're getting a bit savvy to it. And they'll stop following her places that they don't perhaps want to go. And they'll stop going to the places maybe that they're not interested in. The teacher of the law that comes to Jesus is looking for glory. He wants to be associated with this conquering king. He recognizes that Jesus is who he says he is and thinks, right, I want in at the beginning. I want to have some of this power. I want to be part of the ruling people. And he actually gets a bit boastful. He's not coming to Jesus in humility and honesty. He's coming to Jesus and saying, I'll do anything for you because I want a bit of your power. I'll do anything for you because I want a bit of what you're going to bring. Look at me. I'm so dedicated. I'll even say it. Do you know, Jesus is looking for action this morning. He's not just looking for our words. He's not just looking for us to say, yes, okay, I will follow. Yes, okay, I'll do that. He wants it in action. This scribe thinks Jesus, this Messiah, is going to be going straight into glorious riches, straight into that powerful position, straight into that authority, and straight into overturning the Roman rule that they're under. He wants a bit of that importance. He wants a bit of that glory. So he tries to get well in there, doesn't he? I'll follow you wherever you'll go. I'll go where you go. I'll do it. Jesus says, really? It might be being homeless. Will you really follow me? I've got no house to call my own. Even the foxes have got somewhere to stay. Even the birds have got a nest to temporarily nest in. If you follow me, it might mean leaving all that stuff. The scribes were important people. They were rich people. They, they would have had wealth. They would have had possessions. Following me might mean being homeless, says Jesus. It might mean not having the job you want in the place you want. It might mean not having the things of your dreams. It might mean some discomfort. I think it was Donna a few weeks ago that pointed out that we often watch the um, Open Doors prayer things, the prayer videos, and uh, these people in the persecuted church are suffering because they love Jesus. People have got nothing. They're scared to even open a Bible in public because they could be arrested. And at the end of the video, they, they give prayer points. It was you, wasn't it, Donna? Yeah. At the end of the video, they give prayer points. And if it was you and me, and we were under that oppression and in danger of being put in prison or in danger of being tortured for our faith, what would our prayer points be? Their prayer points are, give us the strength to go through it. <laughs> give us the strength to keep going. Give us a peace and help us bring more people to know Jesus. That's their prayer points. I think ours might be, oh God, help us out of this situation. I don't like it. Oh God, give me some comfort and a safe journey. Oh God, make sure I don't get arrested. That's not their prayer points because they recognize that following Jesus is a call to possible difficulty. It's a call to possible discomfort. <laughs> and maybe you don't want to hear that this morning, but their prayer requests aren't, Lord, make it more comfortable. Lord, take me out of this situation. Sometimes he will, but sometimes I'm sure that these people do ask those things in some of those tough times. I'm sure they do cry out to God and say, God, help us. But their prayer is for strength to face what they face and for others to join them on the journey. Jesus says to you and me, follow me. 
and it might get uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable. We all want the prize, don't we, but not the pain. I've brought with me this morning some medals, okay? I could wear them, you know. I'm not showing off, by the way. This is, this is relevant, okay? This lovely medal here was from the Munich 10K, okay? I, I ran this 10K in about four years ago, I think it was. In 58 minutes, I was quite pleased with myself. And I got this medal at the end to show that on the something of 8th of October, it was, 2016, I did the 10K in Munich. I've then got this one. This is the Scottish Half Marathon. It's a nice, I like this one. It's nice, nice shape, nice, nice little uh, lanyard, that's what they call it. It's got tartan insides to show that it's from Scotland. And uh, I ran this with Paul on the 1st of the, was it 1st, 13th? I can't even tell what it was now. Oh, 13.1 miles, that's what it is. <laughs> but I ran that, and it reminds me of the grueling last mile that I ran to get over the finish line. It was hard work. I've got this one, okay? This was the first medal I ever got. Oops, there's a battery. And this is the Bupa London 10,000 10K, 2010, run the course. It finished outside Buckingham Palace at the bottom of the mall. And uh, I got this medal. I got a goodie bag with a T-shirt in and everything. But actually, this one, I've actually, I actually had to hunt for it because it doesn't really mean anything. Because I actually didn't run this race. Look, I've actually got two. We were just walking down the mall after it had finished, and they were handing them out. <laughs> so I had goodie bags. I've got medals. I've got about four of the T-shirts saying I run the Bupa 10,000 meters. I didn't. But that's the first medal I got. It actually doesn't mean anything anymore because it didn't take any effort. I just blagged these. <laughs> so actually, these have been stuck in a cupboard. I couldn't find them. These ones, I had to work for them. And these mean something. I think that's a little bit like this scribe. One of those medals wasn't deserved. There was no grueling run involved. There was no action involved. It was purely, I'll have one of them, thank you very much. Is that our attitude to God when he says, follow me? I'll have what it brings. I'll have the blessing. I'll have the position. I'll have the promise. But you know what? Not interested in the effort, thank you very much. Not interested in the discomfort that I might have. That's what this man is going for. He's going for the crown. But the cross comes before the crown. The cross comes before the crown. Our promise to follow cannot be dependent on the crown. Our promise to follow has to be about going through the cross. I've lost my place. The cross comes before the crown. What promises are we making this morning? What promises have we made to God what promises have we made to other people? Are we keeping them? Or are we getting older and a little more unwilling, like those sheep? Are we becoming a little bit more unwilling? Do we just want to go straight to the crown? Or are we really willing to say, I'll follow you, Jesus. Wherever you go, I will go. A promise not kept. Do you know, we don't see or hear of this man again in the whole of the New Testament. We don't know what happens to him. So I guess he wasn't really willing to fulfill the promise. I'm guessing it was just words, just empty words, no action. Do you know, Jesus, his promise is yes 
and amen. His promise is fulfilled. His promise is to be faithful. His promise is the same today as it was then. Follow me. Follow me. It might not be easy, but it'll be worth it. Follow me. His return will be very different to his first coming. That's what Daniel tells us. He'll come on the clouds. He'll come with glory. So the second part of these verses, we see a call that comes in the middle of other plants. A call that disturbs our plants. You ever experienced that? Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me go and do this first before I follow you. Let me go and do that before I wholeheartedly commit. Joe, Jesus' reply sounds really harsh to our Western ears. Let the dead bury their own dead. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Sounds really uncomfortable. But again, let's know the context. This man's father wasn't dead yet. This man's father was still alive. How do we know? Because if his father was dead, he wouldn't be out and about following, he wouldn't be out and about listening to Jesus. He would be at home mourning. His father isn't dead. So what he's actually saying is, let me enjoy time with my dad. And once my dad's gone, I'll follow you, Jesus. Let me enjoy this period of life, do what I want to do, and then, Jesus, I'll follow you. That's what he's saying. Let me do this that I want to do, and then I'll follow you. It's a bit like the equivalent of asking the kids to empty the dishwasher, isn't it? But actually, they're busy playing on uh, FIFA. And actually, you want the dishwasher empty so you can get on with filling the plates after you've had your tea, don't you? But they're too busy. They're doing what they want to do. They're not willing to do the thing that asked. Jesus says, follow me. Joe, Jesus isn't changing my plans. That's what the response is. Jesus isn't changing my plans. He'll have to fit in with me. That's what this man is saying. Jesus isn't, I'm not following Jesus. He needs to get on board my bus. I'm not getting on his. He needs to come along with me. That's the attitude. Jesus, join me. Then I'll follow. As long as it's in this part of the country, as long as it's in that little area of the world, follow me. I'll follow you as long as I can still keep everything I want in my life. That's another thing we say, isn't it? I'll follow you, Jesus, so long as I can keep everything in order that I want. That's not following. That's demanding. That's what some of us say to God. We want to wear Jesus a bit like a coat that we put on and then take off when it doesn't suit us. We want to just put him on when it suits us and take it off when it suits us. Jesus says, no, take up my cross, not my coat. We need him rather like an internal organ rather than a coat on the outside. We need him as something that is permanent in us, permanent that we carry because Christ is in us. Do you know, in India, there is a president and a prime minister. I discovered this as what I was looking for. When there's an important law to be passed, then the president has to sign it to make it law. The president's nickname is the rubber stump. In India, that's his nickname, the rubber stump. He has zero authority. He has zero say over the rules. His job is just to stamp the order, to sign it off. His job is purely that. The prime minister and his party hold all the power. What is our priorities today? Do we see Jesus just as a rubber stamp? 
No authority in my life, thank you very much. You just sign off on the plans that I've got, God. You just sign off on what I want to do. You just rubber stamp the idea. Do we see God as an add-on to bless us? Do we just see God as an add-on? Do we see him as a rubber stamp? This morning, God says, follow me. It might mean living differently. It might mean changing your plans. It might even mean interrupting something that you feel you're in the middle of doing. The question is, will you follow him? Will you follow him? Will you ask him to be internal rather than just an external coat? Will you ask him to do it? Follow me and even put me above family. That's hard. That's hard. But the Bible says if we put him first, we'll be better children, we'll be better fathers or wives or husbands or daughters, we'll be better mothers, we'll be better whatever, because there'll be more of him and less of us. And who is God? God is love. Surely more of that's going to make us better at everything, isn't it? So follow him without excuses. I thought it was interesting to see as we finish what happens next in Matthew. The next verses, Matthew, 20, Matthew 8, 23 to 27, very familiar story, says this. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. That's the ones who are actually putting the action in. They followed him. They got in the boat with him. They followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey obey him. What kind of man is this? Well, we know he's the son of man. He's the promised one. He's the one who's come with authority and power and glory to come and establish a kingdom that will last forever. That's who he is. That's what kind of man he is. And he's establishing it for you and me today and saying, come, follow me, join me, be with me. I think it's an interesting contrast between the first passage we read and the second. I'll tell you why. Firstly, there's a promise made that isn't kept. Then there's a reluctance to be obedient to Jesus' call. And then panic sets in because of not remembering Jesus' call. That's what happens in this story. Panic sets in because they haven't remembered Jesus' call. What was Jesus' call to his disciples? Come with me, we're going to the other side of the lake. That was the call. Come with me. I'm going to get you to the other side. And then in the middle of the journey, ah, it's windy, it's rainy, the waves are everywhere, I'm going to drown. Jesus, do you not care, it says in one of the Gospels. There's panic in the middle of the call. What's Jesus' call? I'm going to take you to the other side. So don't get panicky in the middle of it, just because it's a bit bumpy. Don't get panicky and start screaming and say, God, do you not care? Because Jesus' promise is, I'm going to get you to the other side. Now, we've all heard that before, maybe. But Jesus has given orders. It's his command. Take me across the lake. Follow me. Rough seas and storms come. 
What's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Again, we've heard this bit before. He's sleeping. Even in the middle of the storm, Jesus is sleeping. Why? Because he knows that they're going to get to the other side. He knows they're going to get where he said because he is the person with authority and power and glory. Can you see how it's all in context? He's got to get us to the other side. Even in the middle of storms, he's sleeping. You can see earlier sermons for more on that, okay? But the disciples have forgotten the call. Follow me. No excuses. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Don't worry. I'm with you. I'm in your boat. Are here. The call was to get to the other side. And when it gets a bit rough, when it gets a bit uncomfortable, the disciples panic. They're following Jesus. They've got him in their boat. They've got him in their lives. They've got it with him. They've heard the call. They're putting the action in. But they think Jesus doesn't care. They've made all this sacrifice, but they think Jesus doesn't care. They've made all this, they've given up their boats. They've given up, they've given up the Father at this, in places to go away with Jesus. And they think he doesn't care. But Jesus is in the same storm. Jesus is in the same circumstances. Jesus is in the same surroundings. What's he doing? He's not panicking. There's no panic, there's just peace. With Jesus, there's no panic, there's just peace. Even in the midst of the storm, he is still in that circumstance. He is in those surroundings. But with Jesus, there's no panic. There's just peace. There's no looking at the waves over everything else. He's asleep. Not because he doesn't care, but because he knows the promise. Not because he doesn't care, but because he knows, the, he knows what's happening. He knows what's going to come. And the last sentence of this is what I really want to major on as I finish. And that's the second time I've said it today. I'll try not to say it a third time. The last sentence is, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. We might think we are the most advanced in creation. <laughs> we might think that we are the most intelligent beings on earth. And maybe that's true to some extent. You don't see dolphins on the moon, do you? Well, I think that's probably because I can't breathe. But hey, you don't see other creatures getting to those technological, you know, there's no dolphins making iPads or uh, other things. Maybe we are quite intelligent. Would you agree? I'm just, I'm looking this morning and it's very blank. I'm trying to find somewhere. Alison's nodding. I'll look at you, Alison. Thank you. We might think we're the most advanced in creation. Maybe you think today you are the most advanced in creation. And perhaps we are. We are intelligent, we're creative, we design, we create things. But you know, the key difference between us and a temporary wave of water or breath of wind is this, obedience. That's the difference between these disciples and a bitter water and wind. That is the key difference. And it's really important that we notice that because what does obedience bring? The simple bit of foam-edged water goes calm. Why? Because it's obedient to Jesus. The breath and the furious wind that's cropped up goes still. Why? Because it's obedient to Jesus. Can you see the difference? The disciples panic. The wind and the waves obey him. It's that simple. What's his call this morning? What do we need to obey him in? Follow me. 
Stop making excuses. Stop putting things in front of me. Stop blocking me off. Stop putting things in the way of me. There's a guy who walks down through our farm with a dog. And he never seems to speak to it, shout at it, whistle at it. It can be from here to there away. And honestly, in an instant, it can sit. It sits down and he's still. If a car's coming along, I don't know what he does. It's like magic. <laughs> Not that that's real. It's, it's weird. This dog suddenly can be running around and anywhere he is, this dog suddenly goes, Poof, because it's obedient to his master. Does it look miserable when it's obedient? No, it's sitting there going, <laughs> it looks happy as Larry because the master's keeping it safe from the car. The master's allowing it to have all that freedom, but occasionally he needs it to sit down and be still. The dog's happy when it's obedient because it's safe and it knows it might get a treat as well when it's obedient. <laughs> it's quite something to see. But this morning, there is calm in obedience. There is calm in obedience. It's as simple as that. If we've not got that message, I'll say it again. There is calm in obedience. How do we know? Because the wind and the waves are calm and obey him. The disciples don't, and there's panic. We were never meant to be the ones in control. We were never meant to be the ones that were with power. We were never the ones that were meant to make all the decisions. We were meant to serve the king, the conquering king. In the Old Testament book group on Friday, read about a peace treaty. For peace to happen, there were three things that the, the, the conquered nation had to do. Number one, they had obligations. Secondly, there were benefits. And thirdly, there was a penalty. Sorry, the first thing was the benefits. If the king came and conquered your nation, what were the benefits? Protection and provision. The king wasn't a dictator. He, wasn't a, he would provide and protect you. But there were obligations to that provision and protection. It was obedience. Obedience to the laws and paying the taxes. And the third thing was the punishment, unfortunately, was the withdrawal of the protection if the obligations weren't met. Jesus, we don't serve a president who has no power or a prime minister that can be changed by the people's vote. We serve the king. We serve the conquering king, the son of man. For peace to happen, we need to be obedient. What happened to the winds and waves? They were calm, still, and peaceful. When Jesus was holding on to the promise of crossing the lake, he was start calm, still, and peaceful. When Jesus was on the cross, he was calm. So what does all this mean to us today? What happens when Jesus calls you in the middle of everything else? What happens? Don't just expect him to be the rubber stamp on your life. How reliable are our promises this morning compared to his? Not very. But don't worry about his promises because we've been let down by others before. Because his promises are true. His promises are sure. Our obedience doesn't alter his faithfulness. But his faithfulness should impact our obedience. Even the wind and waves obey him. So as I finish, will we follow him? I've said it three times. Will we finish by following him? I've said it four times now by accident. Will we follow him? <laughs> or will we continue to make excuses? Will we put him on like a coat on a Sunday morning and take him off the rest of the week? 
or will we go with him? Will we refuse to leave our plans behind to make sure we follow him? Or will we be like the wind and the waves and obey him? Experience his peace, experience his calmness, and experience his promise. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the simple message. I pray, Lord, that it's not been overcomplicated by me. But Father, I pray this morning that each one of us will know that you just simply call us still to follow Jesus. Father, I pray that we will recognize that even in the storms, even in the furious storms of life, with Jesus in our lives, we can have peace and calm at the center of it all. Father God, I pray for anyone in this room or anyone watching online that doesn't know Jesus. This morning, I pray that as he says, will you follow me? Their simple response is yes. And that they will talk to somebody as to how they do that. But Father God, I pray, Lord, that in the midst of the madness, we will hear your voice saying, be still, follow me. I'm going to be with you. Same circumstances, but bringing you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.